you know, and and I think uh, one of um, the great speakers uh, from the Saturday night uh, big, huge plenary session said something that stuck with me. Um, he said, you know, uh, when your time on this earth is done and you meet your maker uh, at the end of this life and uh, you're asked where are your wounds, where are your wounds, and you say, well, I have none. Well, you might want to be prepared to hear, was there nothing worth fighting for in your life? I still get goosebumps thinking about hearing um, him say it uh, because it is so true. This parliament was about activism. It was about caring and sharing. It was about the we and the us. Everything, I believe, the sacred feminine stands for, in my opinion. Um, I had uh, more to say about it in an interview I did uh, in the Huffington Post. And if you want to read that, I'm sure you can find it pretty easy by Googling my name with uh, Huffington Post. Uh, or you can go to my Karen Tate Facebook page and just scroll down a little bit. I'm sure you'll see it there. I think the the um, title was uh, Goddess in the Mainstream at the Parliament or something like that. Um, so thanks goes out tonight to all the volunteers and participants of the Parliament that made the event in Salt Lake City, I think, one of the most meaningful things I've ever participated in in my life. I can't say enough about how impressed I was. It was amazing. It was inspiring. It was exhausting. It was overwhelming. But it was, oh, so incredible. So uh, look look up the uh, Council for the Parliament of World Religions. They're talking about maybe doing it every two years instead of every five or seven. They did say the next one is not going to be in the United States, though. They try to spread it around the world, and it's not just always held here. Uh, here in the States. So um, food for thought, you know, uh, put it in back your mind. Uh, decide if uh, maybe it's something you want to uh, participate in as, uh, as, you know, someone who just attends and takes in all the good stuff, or you might even want to uh, submit a proposal. Because you know what? If I was chosen, uh, I'm sure you could be chosen to present a proposal too. And uh, also, uh, shifting gears a little bit, thanks uh, to Lisa Thiel for use of her music tonight. Um, Her cut opening tonight's show uh, was titled, I Am Goddess. And I hope listeners will consider some of the artists who share their music uh, with the show when they're looking to expand their uh, musical archives. And very quickly, um, our last two Joseph Campbell roundtables for 2015 uh, are happening very soon. Uh, The next one is Saturday, November 7th, uh, the Joseph Campbell Roundtable in Venice Beach, if you're in Southern California. Our speaker is Jillian Cameron, who is giving a talk and a slideshow called Transgender Spirituality, Redeeming a Maligned Wisdom. And then the following Saturday, November 14th, Charlotte Cressy uh, will be at the Goddess Temple of Orange County giving a talk uh, for the Joseph Campbell Roundtable called Embodied Love, Veganism is a New Paradigm in Relationship. Now, Charlotte will also be on the show discussing this uh, on November 11th. And um, 
Jillian Cameron and I uh, discussed uh, this topic um, a few weeks ago. So if you're not local uh, in Southern California and you want to hear about that topic, transgender spirituality, and how uh, Jillian believes it's um, uh, they are trying to redeem a maligned wisdom, um, just look in the archives. And wasn't too many weeks ago, um, I think it was in September, that uh, that I interviewed Jillian about that topic. So you won't, uh, you don't have to miss it. And uh, it turns out we are going to be videotaping uh, Jillian's uh, presentation, and I think she will be making that available. Uh, I don't know all the details about that yet, but if that's something you're interested in, get in touch with me and I'll fill you in as the information becomes available. And um, you know what? Don't forget, Daylight Savings Time starts Sunday. Uh, it's time to fall back an hour. So set your clocks back and uh, keep uh, also an ear and an eye out here for some changes uh, coming to the show as I bring back uh, more of my What's the Buzz segment uh, with uh, a column uh, called Who Will Investigate the Investigators? And I'm also going to start um, offering some of the meditations from my book, uh, Goddess Calling, because some of you said you'd like me to not only wear my radio show uh, host hat and uh, my author hat, but also my priestess hat as well. Uh, so you got it. Uh, watch for it. Uh, I think probably at least once a month um, we'll have a new meditation or some sort of uh, ritual on the radio. Okay, so tonight uh, I have two guests for you. Uh, first up is uh, Marilyn Steele, and uh, we're going to be discussing 50-plus, uh, uh, with the wild feminine for 50-plus women. And uh, then after uh, my chat with Marilyn, uh, I will be talking to Embara Ma'at, uh, and our topic is the feminine yang, goddess manifestations of the masculine. Interesting. So um, I just want to say uh, hello uh, to Marilyn because uh, she's here waiting on the line. Hi, Marilyn. Hi, Karen. Nice to be here. Oh, thank you so much uh, for being with me. And uh, I want to uh, <clears throat> give my listeners a little bit more background on you before we start uh, our chat because, uh, you know, you've done a, a lot in your life and uh, just, you know, want to give them a feel for, uh, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know what you're talking about. So um, Dr. Marilyn Steele, she's a Jungian psychologist, author, speaker, shamanic dreamer, and mentor to prime time, that's 50-plus, 50 50-year-old-plus 50 women. Uh, she works with visionary entrepreneurs and transformational leaders who yearn for greater access to their feminine power, their wild feminine souls, and a path to bring their wild wisdom into the world. For almost 30 years, Marilyn practiced depth psychotherapy and taught widely here and abroad on women's psychology, the soul, science, and spiral path of women's lives, the role of the wild and sacred feminine archetype in the evolution of consciousness. She's published creative nonfiction and spiritual memoir in numerous journals and anthologies such as Psychological Perspectives, a Jungian journal, Sage Woman, Zone 3, and Left Curve, 
And in 2012, she published a deck of wild cards, poetry quotations illustrated with her art to empower and awaken women to their magnificence. Her book, The Wild Feminine, Stories to Inspire and Embolden, was released in May 2013 and recently chosen as one of the Spirited Woman Foundation's top book picks. Then her second book, On Her Way, A New Story of Self, A New Map for the World, is coming out this year. Maybe it's already out. We'll have to ask her. And it describes an ecology of leadership, the integration of sacred indigenous wisdom with visionary new science, which speaks with the voice of the sacred feminine. That all sounds so interesting, Marilyn. (laughs) Thank you. And you've been. You've it been sounds different when busy. you say it. It sounds wonderful. I'm so interested. <laughs> <laughs> don't, well, you know, don't you love it when you hear people read your bio? You know, I kind of cringe when I hear people read mine. I say, okay, they could have edited that. They don't have to read all of that. But it's kind of <laughs> nice to hear people, well, you know, sort of validate all your hard work. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to say to you, Karen. I mean, it's such a a pleasure and an honor to be speaking with you and just thank you for all of your work on behalf of the Sacred Feminine in all the various venues, um, academic and public, and that you were at the Parliament. I loved hearing uh, some of your news and I look forward to reading the you know longer articles. And is there a YouTube? Is your, is your talk... Uh, Recorded no, well, you know, um, you know, I, I don't know how. Uh, um, you know, I, I when I was in the room, they videotaped it, and um, mm-hmm. uh, I I have put an email into them to see if I can get a copy. And yeah. my husband did a very amateur attempt um, with our cell phone, so it's mm-hmm. documented. You know, if if there's no other option that that looks better, you know, that looks that doesn't yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, look more professional. So okay. if worse comes to worse, I, I may post the one Roy uh, managed to um, okay. videotape. We'll have to see. I'd, I'd rather be in, in, you know, in a more professional light if possible. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think the content was worth hearing even if uh, the lighting is bad. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, um, and I think <clears> the hope that you pointed too, is what I'm feeling too, that there was this parliament, that there's so much talk about the goddess, that we can even say the word goddess in public, out loud, and claim it and own it. You know, this was this was not true 30 years ago. This was, yeah. you know, you couldn't speak yeah. about the wild feminine and the sacred feminine without people yeah. looking at you as a real weirdo, you know. Well, you know, they had a, uh, you know, Isadora Leedenfrost and Alyssa Starkweather actually had a uh-huh. red tent set up for the entire uh the entire ah. time. Uh I mm. mean, you know, the goddess was well represented. Uh Lydia Rules, uh goddess spirit, um uh, you know, goddess banners, uh she calls mm-hmm. them the girls. Um there were a hundred <laughs> of them hanging. Mm. Um you know what? So there was no hiding the sacred feminine. You know, uh, of course there yeah, were lots of people there from patriarchal religions. Um, yeah. But I, I would like to think they were the more moderate and progressive types. But there, she was not being swept under the rug or by any stretch of the imagination. She was not just being tolerated. Um, she was there, and women were well uh, represented. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> and after all the ugliness we see on the news every day, um, I really needed that shot in the arm, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to bear witness, isn't it, to, to really it, it see is. what's going on. In, mm-hmm. 
It is, but uh, but thank you for uh, what you said about my work. You know, I, I and and yours too. I mean, I think people like us, you know, how we we sort of feel like how can we not do it? You know, um, you know, we oh, certainly yeah. aren't doing it for the money. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, so. although I'd like you know, to hear for that to change, but no, it's definitely been the soul path, and it is a calling, and um, yeah, and. It's, especially through my dreams. I mean, the very first dream that I can recall having about the goddess, I didn't even know what it was. It was just this, in the late 70s, just this kind of scene, which turned out to be Stonehenge. So it was just kind of Mm. being on the plains and hearing the wind. There was nobody else there and seeing these stones. And it was like, huh. Clearly something big was going on, but I had no idea what it was. And over the next week or so, I started seeing, I looked it up, I found a book, there was a, an art gallery that was having a, you know, photography show, and that was kind of the beginning of my wild ride, <laughs> answering yeah, the call, hither you know, and yonder, the, the sacred feminine. Well, you know, I think that's what's so interesting because you never know what is going to start the journey. Um, I would assume, um, and, you know, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming hearing you say that, maybe you were not yet a psychotherapist or shamanic dreamer. Uh, This was all maybe very new and um, foreign. I didn't know how to place it. Yes, the, the dreams, I'd had big dreams since I was a child, but I didn't exactly know what they what they meant. I was very connected to nature. I grew up in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um so I was very connected to I think that's the wildness really that is kind of in my cells and, and, and in my body. I didn't know then that Hawaii is one of the few places in the world where the sacred feminine is really still alive, well and honored. Wasn't that mm-hmm. a blessing, you know, that I <laughs> was raised there. Um so it was kind of in my body, but no, this dream was the first one I really started turning towards the goddess, per se, yeah. and going, oh, yeah. the goddess spirituality. I felt completely, I don't, I, I was in California by that time, but I don't know, maybe I was so introverted, but I felt very isolated. It was kind of a, a lone journey, you know, and finding Gimbutas' work, and then gradually, you know, finding my way into the Jungian. It was the only place where I could see that I could be a psychotherapist and follow the feminine and mm-hmm. also um my creativity you know so yeah. uh, that was that was a long slow road but i knew you know by then i knew where i was heading in the in the 70s yeah so right so it sounds a little a sort of a little bit like uh jean shinoda bolan you know doing the archetypal mm-hmm. goddess uh stuff um yeah so so Marilyn, the wild feminine, and especially it seems like this is for women over 50. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know women like Ava Park, and I've interviewed some women on the show. You know, they talk about the empress archetype, the queen archetype. I'm kind mm-hmm. of thinking maybe this is very much in sync with that. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. can you tell me, what is the mm-hmm. what is the wild feminine for, you know, women who are in their prime? Yeah, so let me link it first to just say about the wild is is to live in um, our native genius, you know, our wild nature, untamed, undomesticated, passionate, eager, enthusiastic, stormy, you know, full of desire. Um, So kind of being in contact with our, uh, the wisdom of our soul and not 
so much supported by the by the culture. And you know, as Terry Tempest Williams says, is like, what do we long for? We long for wholeness, and that comes mm-hmm. through our wildness, which which teaches us what we're connected to rather than what we're separated from. So, for women to be reconnected to their wild feminine souls is quite a, a journey in this culture and in the world. And I I began. And this is how I discovered you too. So it's it's very tied in. Is about two and a half years ago, I had a dream, <laughs> another another dream. I mean, I've been working in Jungian psychology for for thirty years, but my interest in women over fifty and deliberately calling them prime time women, not women on the downhill slope, you know, or, or mm-hmm. <laughs> running out of steam, but really coming into their prime is. In my studies of creativity from the time I was in my 20s at Cal, like, oh, these studies of women in their 50s, it's like something peaks. And then Jungian-wise, it's something also peaks in terms of soul urgency to really fulfill your mission. Why are you here? Or, you know, what are you doing? So there's a, a great deal of fire um, coming up in women 50 and above. And then I had this dream two and a half years ago. I'm 71 now, so uh, I had a dream two and a half years ago, and I didn't know this figure, but the the scene was a writer friend and I are standing outside of a house where I lived and raised my children for many years in uh, Berkeley. And she says, "You know, there's a you know there's a new statue on your on your front porch, statue of Elias." Oh, there is. I knew there was a small one inside my house, but I didn't know about this big one. And in my house, I've got a, a group of writing women, and they're 50 and above, you know, slightly older uh, women, and we're having a writing circle. But on the front porch is this huge statue of a lion goddess with two red hibiscuses behind her ears. Oh. And my writer <laughs> friend says to me, she says, you know and it also is speaking to the women writers in the circle in that I am um, facilitating in my house. She said, you know, that lion has many secrets to tell and many <laughs> stories that need to be told. So you need to get to know her. And I woke up from that dream, and it was a beautiful statue. And I went, what? What? Who is that? <laughs> I, I mean, Jungian as I am, I just had not, it didn't come to mind that that was second. <laughs> so I begin, you know, the Egyptian lion goddess, mm-hmm. as you well know. So as part of my, and I, I assume probably your listeners know a lot about Sekhmet more than I did at, at the time, that she is a solar goddess, mm-hmm. and uh, she's the mighty one, um, and she is awakened, and she's the lady of transformations and the enlightener and the empower. She also is connected to book and to uh, not missing an opportunity. And she's the one who was there before the gods were. So she's the goddess before the gods were. Well, I loved everything I was learning. There are 10,000 more things to say about her. Um, but as part of my research, I was online, and I love the Internet, and I saw the temple, and there were you. And I thought, well, this woman looks fascinating, you know, and there's Sekhmet, and there you are, and I'm going to just, I'm going to just email you. <laughs> I was kind of <laughs> embodying the yang energy, you know, the solar energy, because I've been kind of moonlight, you know, lunar consciousness was my study for such a long time. So that was another huge surprise for me, is like, 
oh my God, this is a solar god. I don't dream about cats. I don't dream about predators. I dream about turtles and and whales <laughs> and you know sea creatures. So all of that kind of was a you know a portal and a gateway. And there you were, and you just responded right away. And that's another yes. You know, that's another way that the goddess speaks, and she says yes this way, Marilyn. This mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. So. Um, this whole new business, I had a, besides my practice and wrote the book on the Wild Feminine, I had a website and The Way of the Wild Feminine, which is going to be the new title of the book, which isn't quite done yet, The Way of the Wild Feminine, new story itself, new map for the world. And I thought, I want to work with women 15 above because they have the power, they have freedom, they have resources, maybe empty nest, maybe they're done with their careers or bored stiff with their careers or Mm -hmm, dead in their relationship, whatever. They want to come to life and they have, you know, they've seen some stuff. They've lived some stuff. I want to work with these women. I I don't, I mean, apologies, women. I love you all and you're all sacred and you're all priestesses and goddesses. But I no longer want to help the younger women who are trying to, you know, be partnered or or struggling with their young children. I want Mm -hmm. to work with these women who are ready to really step out and save the, you know, help to change this beautiful world and save the animals and take care of the, you know, the children of the world, but really do it in a a more creative way. So I thought, okay, well, here's Sedmet. She's pretty fierce, you know, Mm -hmm. and she's pretty... Yang, and she has a lot of fire, and I'm, I'm going to make a business. I'm going to make my new focus. I'm going to use this. You know, the way I've used dreams my whole life. It's like, okay, you sent it to me. I'm learning, and I'm trying to embody her. And um, so that's what I've been doing for the last, you know, year and a half or so is is concentrating on, on working with women 15 above. And I'm getting more and more excited. I don't use the word. Crone, although it's a you know it's a wonderful word attached to crown and a ta- attached to queen and Marion mm-hmm. Woodman has some wonderful things to say um, about that. But for me, um, this just is a word that you know uh, kind of anchors for me that you know what this could be the time the peak for well, women. So let's just well, turn you know, that. Yeah. It, it, Imagine, okay, I mean, you know, most of us, you know, in the goddess spirituality grew up with the idea of maiden mother crone, three phases of a right. woman's life. Now, I, I right. think, I, I should take the time to look this up. Um, off the top of my head, I remember hearing or reading something about Robert Graves, a man, might have mm-hmm. created that triple face, you know. Uh, but yeah. it, 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 it leaves out the woman when she is at her most potent, really, when you think yes. about it. Exactly. Because like, exactly. like you just said, you know, the woman has she has lived now. She has been through it all. You know, she has so much uh, energy and wisdom and so much to contribute now. You know, she's not nursing yes. children. She's not, you know, on the hunt for a husband or something like that. You know, she's not <laughs> yeah. the sex kitten. You know, she, she wants to do really meaningful stuff to change the world now. And yeah. uh, I can't I can't help but think that maybe that's really kind of scary for some men. <laughs> um, this, so they just yes, sort of gloss is. over it and move us right into uh, old lady <laughs> time, you know. Right, gray haired <laughs> granny, you know, baking. Although I love being a grandmother, not uh, nothing to say, but yes, I think it is yeah. threatening. But you know what I think too, Karen is, I think it's not just threatening for men. I think it's threatening for women. 
So there well, are maybe some it challenges, challenges them. You think? I mean, it challenges challenge. them. I think challenge is the right word. Yeah. I yeah. think challenge. I think it's overcoming some, you know, the old story about our power and um, what we're supposed what to be. But as I say, you know, over me? 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what are people going to think about me? Here I am, an older woman. Are they going to laugh at me or something like that, you know? Um, yeah, I but, think but, it's just kind of overcoming our old stories about what it was to be a woman. Or can you trust? Feminine power, I think that's changing. I mean, I think that we see the more we learn, it's like, oh, my gosh, all you need is to put a few women on your executive boards or or a few more women in government, and everybody's life gets better. So if we do get scared about stepping out into the spotlight and saying, you know what, I know something about this, and this is something it ought to be. Um, well, so and, and I think we're getting positive messages to do that, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just looking at these commercials on TV that the AARP puts out, and it's for, you know, women in their prime, like you're talking about, to, you know, yeah. start a new life, you know, start a new direction. Yes. Or or there yes. were these wonderful commercials. I don't see them so much anymore, but they were celebrating older women, and I remember one of them had purple hair, and, you know, they were da- <laughs> dancing, and they looked looked like old hippies and I thought yeah, you know, yeah. I wanna be I wanna be those old ladies when I, you know, Me get too. to maybe be their age, you know? Yeah. They looked yeah, like yeah. they they had it together and you know what? They were gonna do what they wanted to do and there wasn't anybody that was gonna tell them different. <laughs> That's exactly right. And there are more more and more of those images. Don't you love them? And yeah, having the freedom, you know, to really finally go, Oh my God, I don't care what you know, I I'm finally free to live my life and be who I am and uh and we're especially fortunate I think uh in this country. I mean I'm thinking of a couple of Facebook pictures that have come of the woman who's 104 you know, doing yoga and, and the woman dancing who's 96. It's like it, there's every possible reason that you can be active and healthy and have a whole new life, you know, not only after 50 but after 70. You know? Right. You could, have a, you could have another 25 really active, healthy years. So we just have to dissolve those myths about what it means. Well, and I think, too, you know, I I don't know about you, but it's making, um, you know, I I personally struggle with um, making time for myself because there's so many other things Uh I want to do. And Uh it's, you know, and I still sort of fall into that, you know, I got to keep reminding myself, okay, I got to put the the oxygen mask on me first or I won't be able (laughs) to help anybody else. And and do you find that that's maybe a problem for some of the um you know women that they're well, uh, you know maybe they absolutely. don't Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so close to our gift, isn't it, that we know we're connected to others. We just mm-hmm. that's at our core that it's we, you know, it's self and other, it's we. So that's one of our gifts and blessings is that we we're aware of that. And then the shadow side of that is sometimes we get lost in the equation. We're so outward caring uh, that, yeah, we forget to put ourselves first. I'll tell you how I learned this most recently. I learned it over and over again, various <laughs> various chapters of my life. But when the recession hit in uh, 2009, 2010, my practice, I was still in practice. I was teaching and writing, but I was 
I was really concentrated on my practice um, and my mortgage and my, you know, grown children. And uh, the recession hit, and my practice, instead of bouncing back, you know, used to the peaks and valleys, but there was no peak. It was just valley after valley. And it was like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, not picking up. And uh, then in 2010, I'm like, oh, my gosh, trying to hang on to my house and, you know, my car and all that. And I kind of had this, I don't remember the dreams. Uh, they're not coming to mind right this second. But I did, oh, yeah, there was a hummingbird. I had sightings. I had various sightings, like a dead rat that was found in my office and a hummingbird that was outside on a ledge needing to be rescued. I was beginning, and then it was like, Marilyn, how do you feel about your practice? And when I really got still and listened to the voice of my intuition, it wasn't just an external thing. It was like the recession helped to kind of slow me down. And then I had to say, you know what? You are really tired. You are burned out. You've been doing this for almost 30 years. You need to take care of your own creativity. You've been doing this wonderful job with other people's soul journeys and creativity. You have to stop. So I did, Karen. I it took a while. It took another eight, nine months, but I sold my house. I closed my practice. I moved to um, Marin County. I was very fortunate that I still had some equity in my house, um, even though it was much less than I had thought, but still enough equity. So you cut down on your overhead so you didn't have to oh, make yeah. so much. Oh, yeah. No, I downsized completely, but those those next, and I had the blessing of three years um, on a much smaller life, you know, downsized life. But this, I went to yoga four times a week. I took naps all the time. I completely changed my diet. I mean, this was um, an extended period of really going inward and just taking care of myself. I didn't even have a potted plant for two years. You know, I yeah. didn't want to take care of anything. And I said no more pets although I did get adopted by a, a feral cat in, in year two. That was fine. <laughs> but <laughs> found me anyway. But, you know, that was really, oh, my gosh. So um, that was also in the period of time that I had this dream about Sekhmet. But anyway, it is a challenge for women. And so I I tend to be a person who is dragged, kicking and screaming into my next transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, please, women, you know, listen to Karen and, and me at this moment and do put yourself first. You know, you do yeah. need to take care of yourself. If you're going to continue to care for your partner, your children, your work in the world, um, nurture and yourself. You wanna, you want to go into, you know, this next phase of your life healthy. And, you know, not restricted yes. by, you know, bad health or being infirm. Right. Um, you know, yeah. I, I wonder, you know, I don't know if you know anything about this, but it's sort of, um, you know, so if you don't, I, I you know, we'll go in another direction. But you're making me think of, um, sa- of second Saturn returns. Um, is that mm-hmm. something that ever comes up in your practice with women th- of this age? You know, I would love to know more about that. I am a okay. um, semi-student. I love astrology and and I listen and follow several of them, but I'm not. I'm not okay. um, very fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about Fair that. enough. Yeah, well, I think this, the Saturn return is uh, just, uh, uh, what I know about it is very little, but we go through two. And I think the first one is around 2530, and then the next one is uh-huh. about 25 years later. And uh-huh. it sort of heralds a a new start. 
you know, and oh, it's sort of, you know, it feels like it sort of coincides uh, in a way with what you're doing, you know, and um, yes. I, I'm real focused on it myself right now because I feel it coming on me, and, I, uh-huh. and I'm wondering what is the next transformation going to be, you know, because it's yes. like, will I see the door when it opens, you know, will I know that's uh-huh. the direction? Uh-huh. That worries me a little bit, you know, will I see yeah. the opening? <laughs> I know, I know. Um, oh, listen, <laughs> yeah, honey, I mean, I, I'm listening. That's one of my daily prayers. Show me clearly, yeah. because it's hard for me to decipher, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah. but I love the second Saturn return idea. I think that's really true because we do, um, and I do know this, and I know it in my own life and the life of my patients and colleagues. We do travel a spiral road, and we come back around, you know, and we revisit uh, mm-hmm. themes that we've. Um, lived through before and challenges. They're just in a different, more complex, more rich way, but we, we are traveling. So I like that second second Saturn return because I think we come back around and then we have more to release, right, of the old story, making mm-hmm. room for the new combination of yeah. us. And I, I I will say about that, you know, to your question, will I know and will I see it? And it's like, oh, my gosh, this is not a simple answer and it also is a slow answer much much slower than um i would wish it doesn't seem to be my wish <laughs> it's like the like goddess's wish it, it's much slower but we're putting together such a um such a rich and more complex uh self you know mm-hmm. soul so self enriching so I, I think we travel around this spiral probably even after we leave this earth, but I don't know yet, or I can't remember. So, well, we'll, in, in we'll the, the, to comment on the slowness of the journey, you know, I I I go back and forth between, yeah, I want it all to happen right now. It can't happen quick enough. But hmm. then I realize, you know, wisdom sort of kicks in and says, you know what? It's that slow pace. It's that slow journey yeah. that helps you yeah. be ready, so that you know, you know, that yes. you can take that next step with confidence and not feel like you're being impulsive or something. Yeah. You know. Yes, readiness. I think that's a very key word. We and and then we have to trust the journey. It's like, oh, okay. If this isn't happening yet, something else is trying to be born through me, and I need to be prepared. You know, yeah. I'm not quite ready. I need to yeah. be a little stronger, or a little more spacious, or a little. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you feel you feel it's on the horizon, but it hasn't quite right. revealed itself. Yes. <laughs> well, right. and sometimes it comes too fast. Oh. I, Something came to mind. Can I tell you a little sure, story? Sure, yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in 1987, I was uh, married and had had uh, three children, second marriage, three kids, and I thought, well, I'm I'm going to make a fight. And I was a new psychologist, um, and I thought, well, I'm going to just set an intention to the universe that in five years I would like to travel internationally and be teaching, you know, internationally. So. So I'm going to just think about writing and teaching internationally. And the International Women's, oh, I can't even remember what it's called, the International Women's Forum, I got the quarterly, and they were having an international conference in Dublin that year. And I thought, well, just to tell the universe that I'm serious about this and I want this in five years, I'm going to submit an applica- a paper you know, to this Dublin conference, women's conference. And um, I did. 
But guess what? They said yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a two-year-old child at home. I had these two teenagers, this very troublesome husband. And I was not, you know, I just broke into tears when I got the acceptance. I wasn't quite ready, but I, I, I did go, and it was fine okay. and wonderful. But, yeah. but the book wasn't ready. You know, I thought a book would be written out of it, and, and that didn't happen. So sometimes it happens quicker, you know, like in a class <laughs> like that, and, and then you have to circle back around. And do the but you know what you're again. making me what you're making me think about. You know, I, I I am part of a group we call Wisdom Circle, and we do manifestation work sometimes. And uh-huh. um, I, I think some of us don't actually stop and write down what we want. You know, like a bucket list kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's so important, and especially to put down things that you can't even imagine how they might manifest. Just sort of leave exactly. that to the universe. You know. Yeah. And you you never right. know what things may come together to allow, um, you know, to allow things to to actually manifest for you. You know, exactly. Um, so much that we cannot imagine, but it is important to put our intentions and our dreams and desires out there. But yeah, leave a lot of space for the unexpected because, boy. Are there surprises? (laughs) Yeah, because even when we do prosperity work, you know, we say, you know, let the prosperity come from sources we can't even imagine because then you don't limit the flow, you know. That's a wonderful phrase. I'm going to copy that. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So listen, uh, we probably have about 20 minutes left. Time goes by fast. Um, Tell me what you mean when you say, uh, what does new science have to do with women or the feminine or the soul? What do you mean by new science? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, have you heard the name Ilya Prigogine? No. In systems theory, okay. I hadn't either. I just I was reading Brain Mind Bull in 1979 and um, fell in love with this theory. It's it's complexity theory, and it what it has to do with is that one of the core beliefs is um, that out of chaos comes new order. That it isn't a question of managing chaos or hoping that we can get beyond it. In fact, it's a good thing. It's the way that growth happens. Okay. And the other parts of new science that I love, I mean, it, it's so funny to me to even be talking about new science. It's such a core part of what I love about the feminine. But this was a way that the goddess claimed me for something that, I mean, I almost flunked out of Berkeley because I could not pass the science requirement. You know, I got a D mm-hmm. minus in physics. But later on in 1979, reading Brain Mind Bulletin and all these theories, new science just started to call to me. One of the core beliefs in new science, David Bohm, Ilya Prigogine, you could read Capra, Ian Fichov Capra does a wonderful job in the Tao of physics, kind of introducing the layman to this. But is that we're all interconnected. So mm-hmm. let's, right there is the... Um, we are not separate cells and we're not separated from the living universe. We are interconnected. And spirituality and religion has known that, kind of. doesn't really practice it, but it, you know, the principle. But in science, we were supposedly, and in psychology, we were um, taught, I was taught, that we were separate cells and we were supposed to individuate, which meant to be very 
well boundaried, kind of mm-hmm. rigidly boundaried. And if mm-hmm. we were grown up, if we really managed to become adults and grown up, then we would be independent, independent. And of course, women were failing terribly at this model of independence and autonomy and rigid boundaries because we we don't do that. We know that yeah, we're we're, we're more about we the we and the us. <laughs> we're about the we and the us. So psychology for, uh, including in Jungian, you know, had women, at, it's like, oh, my gosh, they're so in, deficient at this boundary stuff, and they're so inferior because they can't stay focused. You know, they can't, like, set their linear goals and just, you know, be independent and autonomous. They're always, like, connected to people. Well, in new science, it's like, guess what? It's not true that we're separate. We're not. In fact, we only exist because the other exists. We we have much more energy in between each other than we do in one body. So um, new science and uh, for me is so entwined with the feminine because it's something that we know in our mm-hmm. bones and our cells is that we're connected to other people. We can feel them. What is that okay. about? That empathy. Okay. You know, we can feel them. That's energy. That's okay, now they can measure it. And I'm I'm a little bit irritated that it took so long to validate what we have always known. But that's okay. It's okay. I see Science what you is mean. Finding, do you see what well, I mean? I knew about like the, the energy field. I, I, yeah. Well, I knew about the theory, but I, I don't think or I can't remember that um, it, it was referred to as new science, but maybe so. Um, um, so, okay. So, so yeah, that, it's like that living, makes... you know, systems theory. Systems theory is part of it. Uh, complex uh, Chaos theory. New physics is part of it because um, in new physics, you know, we learned that you can't – it's, again, about the separate independent self – in new science or in physics, you know, several theorists that we're talking about, you we found out that actually we influence what we're watching. So your intention, and this is what you're doing in the wisdom circle, and this is what we do when we talk about intentionality and manifesting, is that because we know that our consciousness, our energy, and our, our heart influences what's happening out there. But in old science, that wasn't true. There was this mm-hmm. idea that you could be detached and that you were actually supposed to be. Not just yeah. that you were, but you were supposed to be if you were a grown-up adult and right. you know, mature and intelligent. You were separate and detached from whatever was happening out there. But now right. we know, in many ways, and science is now verifying that, oh, there actually isn't an out there. <laughs> there yeah. There's an in-between, but... but what is in here is reflected out there. Well, you, you know, know, I have we, to we share influence something. what happens. Please. I have to share something with you really quick. I think this uh, this Please. is kind of a an anecdote that sort of proves that. You know, so much of my work is about social justice activism. It's about, you know, not you know, wanting not, empl- uh-huh. employees to be exploited by employers. You know, it's just one yes. of the, you know, one of the themes. And yes. I found that the more I focused on that, the more my relationship with my own boss deteriorated, not because uh, I think I was treating him any differently, right. um, but but I can't help but think because I was putting so much focus on Absolutely. teaching about 
um, you know, injustice and yeah. inequality and exploitation, that I was somehow getting a backlash from that energy, you know, information Absolutely. I was putting out, that it was it yes. was like boomeranging back uh, against yes. me. And, and I found that if, okay, so if I stopped that line of talk and teaching for a while, things, you know, seemed to calm down with my boss. You know, it's oh, really weird. Oh, that's beautiful. That, <laughs> I mean, well, it is weird. That, but beautiful, and that's exactly, that's hitting the nail on the head, as they said. That's yeah. exactly what I'm trying to say, and you just articulated and grounded it so much. So when we focus on what we, what we love, what we care about, what we want to have happen, it's a different energy and it begins yeah. to transform what happens out there in our relationships and in the situ you know, in the conditions that will manifest. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. Exactly. And that validates for me too, you know, the people that would say, you know, don't fight against something. You know, instead yes. put your focus on what you want to manifest. You know, because yeah. I would say, well, how can we not fight the Republicans? Look what they want to do, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. And, <laughs> and I still think yeah. that, but but I'm starting yeah. to, you know, I'm trying to figure out ways to be for something rather than against, yes, if exactly. that makes any sense. <laughs> oh, God, it, it it totally makes sense, and I just cheer you on, Sister Goddess, because <laughs> it is such a challenge, and it's kind of fun, too, to, you know, kind of get angry and righteous and whatever, but really, 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 I mean, I can't even, I'm not turning on the TV tonight, by the way, for the debate, uh-huh. because I know what will happen to me, and it's just... Yeah, it's just yeah, well, I have to admit, stuck. I'm a little tempted. I want to I, I want to see a big train wreck. <laughs> okay, so well, that will be fun. That could be fun <laughs> and, and entertaining. But, but just to not lose the point, because it's so important what you're saying, and... Yeah. Um, and, and Something coming back around to my work, you know, the more I do this and the longer I live, it's really, um, if you follow the law of love, you know, and really what you care about and what you value, that's the most powerful thing you can do. And whatever it is, it's a child, it's an animal, it's your, you know, knitting for the community, it's your whatever it is, if if you put your... uh, focus and intention on the positive, that really will change things. And, you know, politically, this study comes to mind of um, along the social social justice, helping children, I can't remember if it was Nepal or Cambodia or what, trying to help children who were malnourished, you know, who really Mm -hmm. couldn't get enough uh, food. And when they were focusing on the malnourished kids and the really weak and the problems with getting food, they weren't having much success. And they shifted their attention to the children who were doing well and the food that was somehow available for them and tried to do more of whatever was succeeding with those children. And Mm -hmm. then things started to shift. So it's the same principle that we're talking about. They were focused on what was working and what they wanted to have happen rather than right. looking at what was lacking and what was so painful and, yeah. and scarce. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it goes back to that saying, what you put out, you get back, you know, and, and it's yeah. just do we, do we believe it or not, you know. And I think as I get older, life is teaching me that I better believe it. You know, it's it, it's not just a exactly. saying. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a real no. energetic principle. Um, it well, is, Marilyn, and the women, you know, the world doesn't reflect us yet, 
And so that's why the call to, to women to really bring what you know in your yeah. heart of hearts into the world because the world doesn't look like us yet. It is. Yeah. It's changing. But and it's, I'm very but it's encouraged coming. about that. Uh, I mean, I, it's I, I, I no, do, I'm very encouraged about that. I, I do have hope. Um, so, so I'll, you know, just let you let you sort of do a, a little wrap here. Um, what, you know, is, is your final parting thought, uh, Marilyn? And and of course, I want you to let people know how to reach you and uh, give the title of your book again and all of that. But uh, what would what okay. would be your your parting comment for listeners? Well. Thank you so much, Karen. It's been just a, such a, a joy to be with you. And my parting comment would be um, the hope that I have for the future and the hope that you pointed at when you were talking about the Parliament of the World's Religions. It's like what was hidden and, and the feminine, the wild and sacred feminine that has been in exile is emerging all over the place. You know, she's coming out and we're connecting with each other. We're not isolated anymore. And I'm very, very hopeful. There's so much energy and so many different forms that she's taking. So the goddess is alive and well and she's really making her herself known. So I'm very hopeful about what is what is happening and um I just am inspired to be part of it because it's exciting, you know, what we I, can I do. Hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Um, and and so your website and your book title and so, that good stuff. Yeah. Okay. The website and please come visit me, uh, listeners, is uh, com. So primetime is P-R-I-M-E-T-I-M-E, revival, R-E-V-I-V-A-L, all, all together, dot com. And... Um, yeah, Dr. Marilyn Steele. I'd, I'd love to hear from you and, and um, see what you think about well, what Marilyn, there's an e-book there. Yeah. Oh, and it, okay, so they can find an e-book. Um, yeah, the e-book Marilyn, is Time Time Women's Revival. Yeah, come alive to your new story, come home to your wild, wise self, which you are. Okay. Bless you all. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, Marilyn. It has been a real pleasure uh, to talk to you tonight. Uh, I, I really feel a connection with you, and um, I've enjoyed our chat. I, I really have. You, thank you've you. sort of built on my uh, on on my bliss here. So. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. Well, it was such a pleasure, Karen. Well, thank you, thank you so much, Marilyn. And uh, until okay. uh, till we have occasion to talk again, let me know when your next yes. book is out, and we'll have an excuse to have you back on the show. That would be wonderful. Thank you, Karen. Many blessings. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. Well, I see my second guest uh, is on the switchboard, uh, Ambara Maat, and I am going to be with her uh, in just a second because if you know that sound, you know we are crossing our threshold uh, into the second half of the show, uh, but there is a little bit of something i got to do first. I want you to meet uh, Peter the Healer, and here he is, I hope. Hi, my name is Peter Kelly, host of the radio show Peter the Healer, your celestial broadcaster. If you're like most people, you probably don't have much free time on your hands, and money is something that is harder and harder to save for those times that you do have free. It's a vicious circle. You work hard to make money, and then when you do take time off, the money is already spent to pay for this bill or that bill. Always something unexpected comes along to grab your money and leave you broke again. Well, I feel for you, 
because I've been in that same position more times than I like to remember. But then I found a way to turn things around. I developed a system that integrates the teachings of Dr. Shoma Marita, the creator of Marita Therapy, a positive action-based model that transforms negative self-defeating thoughts and behaviors into positive constructive living and productivity. This system integrates not only the teachings of Dr. Shoma Marita, it also combines the over 25 years of first-hand experience that I've gained from working as a counseling psychologist, certified Marita therapist, and clinical hypnotherapist. I discovered that the benefits of using Marita therapy along with hypnotherapy with my clients was much greater than using either one of these approaches alone. So I put together a number of problem areas that my clients reported having and spent several months in a recording studio creating a catalog of original self-hypnosis MP3s. The results were amazing. But I was still not satisfied. I wanted something that would make my self-hypnosis recordings really stand out from anything else out there. The answer came to me over the past year as I began my own personal transformation. I discovered relaxing music in 528 Hz, the love frequency. After several weeks of listening to music in 528 Hz, I began experiencing changes in myself that can best be described as healing and spiritually uplifting. As a result of my own positive transformation, I decided to digitally remaster my entire catalog of self-hypnosis MP3s into 528 Hz, the love frequency. And the effect is simply out of this world. Now you too can benefit from the same positive transformative experience for a fraction of the cost usually charged for one-on-one -on -one sessions. For as little as $11.99, you can download original self-hypnosis MP3s and listen to them in the comfort of your own home at a time that is convenient for you. With dozens to choose from, you are sure to find one that's right for you. And if by chance you don't find what you're looking for, you can order your very own self-hypnosis, your wish is your command recording and I am also available for one-on-one -on -one healing sessions. And in case you're wondering, I haven't forgotten about the money issue. Learn how to generate more money and abundance in as little as three weeks. The title of the MP3 you'll want is Attract Money and Abundance. You'll find it and much, much more at PeterTheHealerShop.com. But wait, that's not all. Act now, and you'll receive a free Spiritual Hypnosis MP3 just for buying one of the many MP3 self-hypnosis recordings. And finally, for a limited time only, exclusive to listeners to this show, get $5 off any order by entering code LOVE, all capital letters, at checkout, and $25 off orders of $125 or more 
by entering code LIGHT, all capital letters, at checkout. Visit PeterTheHealerShop.com today and live the life of freedom and abundance you were meant to live. Well, that was from Peter the Healer. Uh, Peter is a um, a wonderful guy. I actually was interviewed by him on uh, his radio show recently, and uh, uh, am just getting acquainted with some of his um, uh, his methods and his uh, the tapes and things that he mentioned. Uh, so, anyway, if any of my listeners actually uh, maybe. Uh, take advantage of his offer. Uh, I would love to hear uh, some feedback from you and uh, uh, tell me what you think. Uh, but uh, one more thing before we get to uh, Embara. We have a word for, uh, from Joe Carson as well. And uh, tonight, I guess the theme uh, is, is wildness. Uh, we were just uh, talking about the wild feminine with Marilyn Steele. And uh, now we're going to be uh, talking about celebrate wildness. Uh, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. Uh, that's the new book out um, that Joe Carson has put together. Uh, you know, for some time on the show, I've uh, described her film, uh, Dancing with Gaia. Well, now Joe's written a book called Celebrate Wildness, and um, it's come out in a new expanded second edition, and uh, here's a review uh, that she got on the book from uh, Stephen Posh, who's the author of Radio uh, Paganistan, Folk Tales of the Urban Witches, uh, in witchesandpagans.com. Uh, I have to, I always, uh, you know, I always want to chuckle when I hear that Radio Paganistan. Uh, uh, I don't know, somehow that tickles me. But anyway, uh, Stephen Posh said this about uh, Celebrate Wildness. He said it's a scintillating new book by filmmaker Joe Carson, an expanded second edition. Uh, now gives access to Fred Adams' 50 years of life, uh, 50 year life work of rapturous. Uh, poetry, erotically charged ritual, glowing surreal paintings, and an overall vision of a human culture utterly defined by wilderness, eros, and goddess. Um, and in Celebrate Wildness, uh, Farifaria uh, initiate Joe Carson unfolds the sumptuously petaled flower of the Farifarian vision with a stunning simplicity and clarity that would have left Fred Adams grinning with, with boyish delight. So, um, Joe would like to say, uh, dear listeners, if you buy only one pagan book this year, let it be Celebrate Wildness. And I guess I'd have to say, think about Goddess Calling as well. (laughs) The holidays are upon us. You will need more than one uh, gift probably for your loved ones. Um, But we have to remember, can't get lost in the consumerism because pretty soon I'll be talking about that. Let's not be the good little consumers that uh, uh, that patriarchy and uh, the beast that is capitalism uh, would like us to be because we probably all have enough stuff. So, um, Next up, uh, we have uh, my lovely second guest, and I'm anxious to talk to her. Uh, her name is Ambara Maat, and she joins me tonight as uh, uh, we cross the threshold into the second half of the show on the topic of the feminine yang, goddess manifestations of the masculine. 
We'll be discussing uh, the masculine goddesses and their strong energies and how they relate to their more passive counterparts. Uh, for instance, um, Sekhmet to Hathor, Oya to Oshun, Kali to Lakshmi. We'll also discuss how monotheistic traditions allow for women to be both passive and assertive, and this relates to roles women play in ancient and indigenous societies. Um, we're going to talk about black woman is God. God, that phenomena, and uh, removing the father from the throne and uh, replacing him with the mother. I think that's going to be very interesting. We haven't uh, talked about uh, this before. I think it's be very fresh, and I'm sure you're going to be very interested. But let me tell you a little bit about Embara uh, first. I don't want this to slip through the crack um, because I know we'll start to chat, and uh, I don't want her bio to uh, slip away. Uh, Embara Ma'at is a high priestess of the Temple of Anu, an Afro-Kemetic spiritual house, which focuses on cultural restoration. She serves as co-teacher for First Eye on Kemet, a course that introduces students to the Nile Valley tradition, and as head teacher of the Kemetic Women's Wisdom Training, or KMWT, uh, preparing women for spiritual initiation using meditation, uh, EFT, uh, goddess altars and new and full moon rituals, uh, Imbara is a member of the Global Sacred Woman Village, a process uh, she underwent while simultaneously enrolled in courses for fiction writing uh, at the School of uh, Professional Studies at NYU. And prior to the start of her comedic journey, she majored in English at Douglas College of Rutgers University, concentrating in creative writing. And she recently published her first novel, Hidden by Moonlight, a retelling of the legendary comedic myth from the perspective of maligned and oft-ignored goddess Nebet Het, or Nephthys, uh, as you uh, maybe might be more familiar with uh, that version of the name. And uh, her website uh, is uh, for her book, hiddenbymoonlight.com. And uh, she also has a Twitter handle, at Embara, but that's spelled E-M-B-A-H-R-A. So, Embara, welcome, welcome to the show. Hatapu, peace and greetings. Thank you so much for having me. Um I'm really excited about tonight. Uh, so thank you. Thank you so much for having me on, and and greetings to all of your listeners as well. Oh, well, uh, I'm so glad to have you too, Embara. Uh, as I mentioned to you when we were emailing each other, uh, I think this is a really fresh topic. Uh, I don't know of anyone that I can recall over the years, and I've been doing this, uh, I think I'm coming on nine or ten years. I forget which, to tell you the truth. I'll have to go back and check the calendar. But I don't recall that we ever talked about the feminine yang. You know, we, we've talked about, uh, you know, goddesses like Sekhmet and Kali and, um, you know, Oya, but uh, never in this perspective. So, uh, but it makes total sense to me because you know these are, well, you know the word that comes to mind, or more, or maybe fiercer, more tenacious goddesses. You know, maybe these are goddesses at one time. Uh, you know, we look at them as not just mothers or healers, but they can also be a warrioress. 
where uh, I think about Kuan Yin, for instance. Um, you know, I, I never quite think of Kuan Yin in the same way, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. So, I, uh, it, so I, I like this topic. I really do. Thank you for uh, sharing your, you know, your research and your wisdom on it. Absolutely. Thank you for allowing me. And, you know, I was really inspired into this topic through work I've been doing this year uh, with Hathor. I've been personally uh, doing a lot of spiritual work to connect to her energy and to get to know her better. And the more that I worked with her, the more that I could see um, how assertive uh, and fiery and dominant she is um, in many ways that she carries a lot of masculine qualities, which is very interesting because Hathor is considered a goddess of love and beauty and joy, which you wouldn't necessarily associate those with masculine qualities. And so um, getting to see her own assertiveness, to hear her voice, to see her stand out and stand up, um, has just been a really amazing journey for me. And so I wanted to take an opportunity to explore that further, and uh, this has absolutely given me the chance to do that. Well, I, I know, uh, I mean, uh, the Egyptian pantheon uh, is what really drew me in when I first uh, uh, came to God of Spirituality. Uh, Isis was first, and then um, I've, I've done a lot more with Sekhmet since, um, you know, although Isis is never far behind, you know. Um, but Hathor, you know, Hathor always struck me as maybe more like the Egyptian uh, Aphrodite, so to speak, you know. Uh, but sometimes I don't think we fully understand Aphrodite either. I think maybe sometimes people uh, see her, uh, you know, maybe not quite so powerful as she is because, um, I mean, when thinking, and, and what made me think that, and, and feel free to correct me if, if you disagree, um, I was listening to a scholar at the Getty Museum talk about how uh, in ancient times the Greeks used to see Hermes and Aphrodite as a couple that they would revere, especially if you were a politician or somebody who had to influence others, because Hermes was the messenger for your, you know, for whatever it was you wanted to get out there. But it was so important because Aphrodite was the persuasion. She was the influence. And, I mean, that's a powerful thing to be able to change people's minds or steer people in a direction. Um, so so maybe, um, you know, this idea of Aphrodite just being this, you know, you know, boudoir babe, this goddess of, you know, love, sex, and beauty, you know, she's sort of getting short shrift if that's all you think she's about. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think that part of Aphrodite's myth involves her being married off against her will because her power is so great. And so in this, you, you start to see the the evolution of patriarchal thought that the feminine power has to be controlled uh, mm -hmm. because it is so um, it is too much for the men to handle. Um, but there's something in that, there's something to be said for that, that the feminine power is that great. And so even though, you know, they make their efforts to control that, you still see that Aphrodite has many lovers. She takes great agency in her sexuality and in the way that she expresses herself. Um, and, and 
just the, just the fact that she, her her force and her beauty and her love and her propensity uh, for self expression is so great. That, I mean that that power is there. That assertion is there. She's far more than just you know the pinup girl in the magazine. Mm-hmm. You know, she is a force to be reckoned with. Right, right. Well, and even Athena, I know you list her as one of the masculine goddesses. And, you know, here in in talking about, you know, men being afraid of female uh, power, you know, here you have Athena who is birthed from Zeus's head, supposedly, you know, in the patriarchal myth, and Themis. Um, Aphrodite's mother doesn't even play a role in the birth process. Um, you know, I, th- I think that's another example, maybe, of men being afraid of the female power. And I and and I don't want to offend anybody with this, but as soon as you said, you know, men being afraid of women's power, I just got this flash of women having to hide their bodies in burkas. You know, I mean, maybe that is a contemporary um, symptom of that. I would absolutely agree with that because, you know, one one interpretation of the the covering phenomenon for women is in that by covering you are protecting yourself from uh, men who cannot control themselves rather than teaching men have greater control over their senses and allowing women to be, be fully expressed and fully um, in control of their nature and, and the way that they present themselves. Um, and, you know, going back to, to Athena, you know, it, yes, the fact that she was said to have no mother um, and that was the explanation for why she was so fierce in battle, why she is so courageous, why she's so intelligent um, because she's does not come from women at all. Um, and it's very interesting because um, it's well, it's fairly well known that um, the Greeks were in ancient Egypt, that they learned from them, and that there is a connection between the Egyptian gods and goddesses and the Greek gods and goddesses, but the Egyptian goddesses have far more agency and mm. were less controlled um, than the Greek goddesses it's, it's it's almost like when you when you put them in next to each other you start to see this degeneration a bit um and and again you and, really start and, the, to see and the difference in the roles of women's lives because Absolutely. in egypt women could divorce they could own property but in greece you know women were relegated to the house i believe you know they didn't Absolutely. have the same sort of power as egyptian women interestingly enough in some Greek gnomes, such as Sparta, they had far more rights. But yes. in, uh, in Athens, um, named after their patron goddess Athena, um, the women were far more restricted. And I think uh, the women of Athens were probably the most restricted women in all of ancient Greece, um, and not being able to inherit property, not being able to sign contracts, not being able to do anything without having that male voice or person to be there to, to speak for them, to sign on their behalf. Without that guardianship, women practically had no rights at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, again, in comparison to the women of, of ancient Egypt who uh, had much freer uh, lives, being able to, you know, conduct commerce, 
to divorce, to sign contracts, to own their own property, separate from their marital communal property, to be able to create wills and things like that, all on their own, of their own agency. Um, the women of Athens were oppressed, for lack right. of a better word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, when I think about all the ugly things uh, the Greeks and Romans said about Cleopatra, now granted, she was a Ptolemy, and that was very late in, you know, Egyptian history, but, you know, at least here was a powerful woman, and look how they demonized her. So, you know, the Romans and the Greeks were not uh, very tolerant when it came to powerful women, I don't think. So, you know, they like to keep you know, uh, their boot on their women's necks, I would think. It definitely seems so. You know, uh, Aristotle was, as far as I, you know, as far as I know, one of the first to uh, write texts that are explicitly misogynist, um, you know, explicitly saying that women are inferior to men, explicitly saying that the work that women do in the household caring for the children, um, managing the family is is inferior to any work that a man would do. Um, you know, in, in my research, this is some of the first evidence of seeing that, that misogynist and patriarchal thought really being spoken about and really written about and distributed in a, in a free way as if it is valid in any way. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about, you know, she, and she might have been the exception rather than the rule, and I'm I'm no expert on Roman and Greek history by any stretch of the imagination, but I am thinking about Hypatia, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the Greek scholar. You know, she seemed to be well tolerated, I would imagine, until the end, you know, with the Christians. But, um, but again, you know, I don't know whether, you know, she was the exception, uh, or, you know, she was probably the exception, maybe not the rule, um, you know, but she seemed to be able to live the life she wanted to uh, to lead. But, um, um, you know, probably, well, I, I mean, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, I suspect that just, just like, you know, just like the rise of the feminine, that there was a rise of the patriarchy, if you will. And so, you know, it wasn't, you know, just a total overnight shift. And at True. some point, you know, there was a there was this beginning of it starts with whispers, and then it becomes more open, and then it eventually begins to take over the minds of people. Um, and so, with Hypatia, um, there, it's very likely that you know her timeline fits into a more open uh, mm-hmm. and earlier, uh, perhaps part of Greek history, um, whereas once this wave begins to grow of this uh, patriarchal thought, then that becomes less and less likely for a woman, like her to have that kind of stature. True, 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 yeah, and I'm sure, you know, even in bad times, there were pockets, you know, where where people could, you know, exist under the radar, you know, um, thinking of Hildegard von Bingen, for instance, you know, I mean, there were... Um, you know these these exceptions. Uh, you know even 
uh, under oppression and patriarchy. But we're, I, I'm sorry, I'm leading you, uh, you know, too far afield here. Uh, I wanted to get back to, uh, you know, the, uh, more specifically the the feminine uh, yang, and and you talk about in the spiritual t- traditions uh, where there were corresponding masculine deities like Athena to Aries, Oya to Shango. Um, talk a little bit about the reason for these um, strong warrior feminine energies, and you know, was there any sort of pushback um, you think from the from the male deity? I mean, was that sort of a peaceful coexistence uh, between the you know the the masculine? Uh, I mean, the feminine yang with uh, the masculine deities. Well, to, to the first part, to answer the first part. Um, Indigenous religions and spiritual beliefs tend to be born out of, um, you know, one's cultural interpretation to the relationship that we have to spirit. And so the people of a particular place and time uh, had a relationship to nature, and they developed their understanding of how uh, divinity works based on what they observed in and through nature um, and in and through the natural world. So taking in the Yoruba culture, for example, taking Oya and Shango as an example, um, Oya was the manifestation of the fierce winds that you would experience in a storm. Um, Shango was the thunder, also of a of a storm, so they uh. they complemented each other. They they mm. came together essentially, and in their mythology, they were considered to be partners and husband and wife. So there was, wouldn't have been um, any pushback because they were complements of one another. They mirrored each other. Um, essentially, what we find, you know, is is that in in a tradition like the Yoruba tradition and in many other indigenous African cultures. Um, the understanding of what is masculine and what is feminine is determined on natural occurrences and what occurs in in the world that is right around them. Well, that makes perfect sense. You know, this idea that they complemented one another and and they they were uh, they were a partnership. Um, you know that that feels that you know that feels very authentic and true. But then, what happens when um, we have these uh, you know the feminine yang goddesses that you know the more um, you know the more tenacious ones like Sekhmet. Um, you know when you compare it to Hathor or Oya to Oshun or Kali to Lakshmi, is that just sort of two sides of you know to, for wholeness? You know, um, you know sort of two sides of the coin. Absolutely, it appears to be so because each one of them, you know, well. To start with Sekhmet and Hathor, they are both considered to be daughters of Ra. They are both mm-hmm. said to be the eye of Ra. And in the mythology or the story of Sekhmet, the feast of Sekhmet, um, it is said that when Sekhmet is quote-unquote tamed, she transformed herself into Hathor. So we see that Sekhmet is the wild expression of Hathor, and Hathor is the the expression of segment. Um, when we look at Oya and Oshun, um, they are both actually mated with Shango, again, so demonstrating a complementarity with them as well. Um, both are associated with rivers. Both are associated with emotions. So Oya being the, the tempest, 
the passion, you know, the anger. Uh, Oshun being the gentle sensuality, the the the, the loving emotion, romantic. Uh, Oshun is very similar in quality to Hathor um, in the Yoruba tradition. Um, so, so they also ha- are mirrors of one another. They reflect one another very much. And I think the same goes for, for Kali and Lakshmi. The same goes for Athena and Aphrodite. They mirror each other to, to a great degree, um, and their qualities reflect off of one another. Uh, they tend to be different expressions of the feminine force, which really demonstrates you know, that, that, that there was this evolved understanding that femininity um, and, by extension, women can and would express themselves in a myriad of ways. Um, and this is and continues to be acceptable to, to these cultures. Right, right. So it rather than, you know, so in other words, you know, what you're saying is, you know, the woman can be an expression of a myriad of energies as opposed to, uh, like in patriarchy, Christianity specifically, um, you know, the only archetype or role model they want to give Mar- uh, give is Mary, Jesus' mother, who's very passive and benign and and has no sex. Um, and so how can a woman ever expect to uh, emulate that role model? Uh, I mean, it, it's totally impossible. And it, Absolutely. And, it's, it, and it, it confines it's, women so much, too. Yes, it's impossible, and it, it demonstrates, uh, you know, the, the, the lack of desire to actually see women express themselves. So instead of, you know, when you look into the Egyptian culture, the Yoruba culture, these these goddesses were were allowed for women to say, uh, this is an example for me of what womanhood looks like. If you mm-hmm. look into Christianity and you have no example, or the only example is, then you do not, there is no way for you to express the fullness of who you are. Um, mm-hmm. And this leads, of course, to disorder, dis-ease, because women are restricted, they're trapped, they have no, um, it speaks to the idea that women don't have anything to express anyway, you know, of course, this, that is, of course, false. But but it speaks to that thought that men don't necessarily value or didn't necessarily value uh, the voice and the expression of women and didn't think it was significant. Um, right. Well, how many of us, you know, grew up with our mother saying, don't be too loud, don't be too smart, you'll never get a boyfriend. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you're making me think about something, and, 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 um, you know, it's, You've made it so obvious to me, but I have to tell you, I don't think I've thought of it until, um, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I started communicating with you and we started talking about getting you on the show. You know, we talk so much about all, you know, men and women balancing their masculine uh, and feminine within themselves. You know, I don't think I ever stopped to think of it in terms of the way you've put it. Um, the the passive and the uh, and, and the masculine um, uh, goddesses, you know, like for instance, I mean, I, I know very very well, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'm going to be Sekhmet, and other times, you know, I'll maybe be Isis or Hathor, you know, I'll I you know step back a little bit, but I've never really thought about it like that. To to be honest with you, I I 
um, I, I didn't think about it as embodying the two goddesses that represented, um, you know, the the passive and the non-passive, whatever. I want to come up with a better word than non-passive, but you know what I mean. <laughs> the, the masculine and the feminine, you know, because yeah. that's what it that's what it is. Sekhmet is in herself; she is a masculine express. She's a, a masculine expression of the divine force. So yeah. she she destroys. She is fierce. She is fiery. She is assertive. Um, all those things that we associate with masculine with masculine energy and, mm-hmm. and I know that it goes without saying that masculine doesn't always equal manhood that's definitely mm-hmm. a, a, a very westernized way to look at it and so and Sekhmet is is a prime example of, of how we understand that um, and Hathor is a prime example of how we understand the feminine force um, in action um, and the feminine force, again, understanding that the feminine force has agency and has assertiveness as well, the ability to attract um, is is one of Hathor's greatest gifts, um, the ability to seduce. All these right. things are powerful in their own way. Um, right. Well, and, and, so and you know, be different I, I, times. Um, and and I want to talk about Hathor with Ra, and 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 I don't mean to throw you a curve here because I don't I you know uh, I'm not sure we um, said we were going to talk about this, but I'm I'm curious if you've given it thought. Um, I want to know about uh, how you um, you know focus on Hathor as she relates to her father Ra, how she's his equal. But but where Isis and Ra come in, I, I don't. Are you familiar with the myth where she? Um, you know, she takes his power by, um, yeah. um, okay, it, and, and so she sort of, I mean, I hate to use the word manipulation, uh, you know, because I love her, she's my goddess, but I don't know what other word to use, but she manages to get his name from him and get his power, and maybe this is kind of what you're talking about, these different ways, um, you know, wiles, I, I sort of think of it in a way as feminine wiles, Yes. Um, it, so speak speak to that a little bit, if you would. You know, Hathor and Ra, and Isis and Ra. Yeah, Isis, Isis actually, Isis and Hathor are both. When you see depictions of them, you will often see them both wearing the cow horns and the sun disc. Uh, the cow horns is a word, a hieroglyphic word, which means wept which it means to open. Uh, the sun disk, we know, is a symbol for Ra. So it represents that they are the opening to Ra's power in the physical plane. They are the only two divine forces who have the abilities of Ra in the divine plane or in the physical plane, in the earth world. So at the end of the story with Isis, when she gets his secret name, um, and now she has all the powers of Ra, Ra declares that he will never again return to earth, that he will forever live in the heavens. So this demonstrates, this this demonstrates, or a, the example for us is that, you know, Ra himself is now restricted to the heavens, restricted to the cosmic world. And the only way for his energy or his that masculine force of creativity and power and dominion, the only way for us to access that is through now through Isis because she is the one, the bearer of his secret name. And Hathor is another way through which we access this power um, and because, again, she's his daughter, the heir, the heiress of his power. Uh, so essentially what we're saying is that 
these two goddesses become the most powerful entities on earth by virtue of having received the full power from Ra. And but it, and and thank you for that um, for that explanation. I didn't know about that you know uh, sun disk and and the cow horn um, explanation there. How it opens you you know uh, they are the opening to the you know to Ra the sun. Um, but but explain to me um, how you see how Isis came about getting it because maybe it's just the western translation but do you see it as she you know kind of um you know maybe dirty tricks to kind of get it or um is, could that just be a patriarchal interpretation of you know uh, you know maybe tainting um you know her ability or something you know because they always want to demonize powerful females um i mean do you See the way she came by, you know, tricking Ra to get his, um, you know, his secret name and thereby his power. Did that seem sort of insidious or manipulative to you? I mean, how do you interpret that? You know, I, I, I've never heard another story, a version of the story where she doesn't trick him. I will say that. So, what, what I, I do know that is later on in the second part of of the story in the mythology, she then needs to use that power in order to give birth to her son Horus and to prepare Horus to become the, the king and to take over from his evil uncle Satesh or, or Seth. Um, and so it essentially becomes, despite the fact that it was an act done um in trickery, it essentially becomes the thing that makes her who she is, and it becomes mm-hmm. the thing that was necessary in order for divine harmony to be reestablished. Had she okay. not done that, um, then the the order would have stayed, you know, then things would have stayed out of order. And so right. it, it speaks to um, a, a, an understanding of. I don't want to say that that we have a sense of fate that you know the universe controls our every action, but I think it also it speaks to the choice that she made that put her in the position to be to be who it is that she was meant to be. And yeah, so like her destiny, while, and like her destiny in her in a way. Exactly. Exactly. So while you know it may be, didn't come across as the the best thing to do at the time, um, it was her destiny. Well, the, well, you know, there's uh, there's something else about that. You know, I've and you know, I'll just throw this out that um, so I've I've uh, you know, someone else in the Fellowship of Isis was talking to me about this because we felt uneasy that here our beloved goddess resorted to trickery. But um, this other woman said to me, if you read the myth, it appears that Ra is becoming old and feeble. And she, and you could think of it as perhaps she did it as a service to him, in a sense. Um, the other part of it is, you know, maybe you can also not look at her trickery as a negative thing, as trickery, but maybe it was savvy, you know. Maybe it was someone who knew that sometimes you just got to sometimes do the hard things in life. You know, life is messy, but you do what you're called to do and... 
you know, that's that's what it is. Um, so I don't know. I feel better about it when I think about those those two things. <laughs> I think I think one thing to add to it as well is to think about the birth of uh, of Isis and her brothers and sister. Um, Ra was becoming older, and he knew that when she, when Isis and Asar and Set, etc., when they were born, that that it would bring about the end of his reign, and he he did not want to lose his power. He did not want to cede his reign. And so he restricted their mother, Newt, from giving birth on any day of the year. So on some cosmic level, it, it's, it's karmic. Um, right. Here, because here you are, rather than ceding to order and balance and harmony, you you use your own magic and trickery to keep these these forces from from being born and from taking their rightful place. Um, so there was a bit of karma involved in it as well. Um, right. For, for right. Ra. That's very interesting. I, I didn't I didn't think about that either. You you know so much about this stuff. I love talking to you. So so all right. So let me throw one other thing out at you. A little bit off topic, but uh, this is another conundrum for me. Uh, this whole idea of. Um, uh, okay, so Isis and Osiris, they're, they're lovers and brother and sister, and they end up being husband and wife, and Nephthys and, um, and uh, Anubis. Set. And I'm sorry, no, Nephthys and Set. So this idea, though, that Nephthys um, with Osiris has Anubis, is there any way to look at that other than betrayal? You know, betrayal by a husband and a sister? I think there's another way to to look at it. Absolutely, um, it's uh, it's definitely something that I've explored a lot. I don't think that that they were um, attempting to betray. I definitely don't think that Nephthys was acting as a villain. And um, while there may have been better ways to go about it, um, I certainly don't. I certainly don't villainize her. I certainly don't consider her to be like a bad guy or to to make Isis out to be, you know, the good sister and Nephthys out to be the dark sister. And I have read many things that have have, have called her such and have demonized her and, and said, you know, you don't work with Nephthys unless you are are doing, you know, dark magic against someone who stabbed you in the back. And I'm, I, you know, I think that that's really very uh, dark. I think that's a very, very dark way to go. Um, I certainly think that um, in my work with Nephthys and in understanding who she is, I certainly think that there was a very genuine uh, love and affection for Osiris um, and a very genuine um, appreciation for her that came from him. And um, and I think that in her relationship with Set, she didn't experience that. She didn't have that. Um, and I and I find myself thinking of of just how, how just as a woman relating to the idea that you have someone who sees you, who appreciates you, and who loves you. So this act that you do, this thing that you do, has nothing to do with betraying or with being hurtful, and it has everything to do with being made to feel loved and appreciated, um, and then to be able to bring something forth that is very beautiful and special as a result of that of that right. union. Yeah, because Isis certainly was, um, you know, uh, you know, Anubis, you know, helped. 
uh, Isis when she was, you know, hiding in the marshes uh, trying to protect Horus. So uh, she obviously didn't resent her nephew, you know. Uh, right. They were, you know. Well, and, and you know what, and, and we can't forget that, um, that you know, my asking if that you know if um, uh, Nephthys and Osiris you know uh, you know coming together and producing Anubis was that betrayal. That's also laying on a layer of contemporary mores too, uh, because I'm thinking as well. You know, if, if we if we if we know what we're if we think we know what we're talking about when we talk about you know maybe uh you know ancient civilizations may even, maybe even uh civilizations that have some uh matriarchal influence i doubt that uh, you know, uh, relationships were that concrete. You know, I have the feeling that women could probably take multiple lovers uh, and it just wasn't looked upon as it might be today. You know, and maybe it's as simple as that. You know, it, it wasn't like Isis and Osiris were, you know, bonded in matrimony in the womb necessarily, you know. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's just a... They were, they were set to... They were said to have had eyes for each other for for uh, you know the entire while, but it was certainly no secret that Nephthys was not in the best of situations in her marriage um, to to Seth. Um, yeah. So I think that I think that um, again when we go back to the rights of the Egyptian woman to be able to divorce and to get out mm-hmm. of a. a of an abusive or a bad situation, Nephthys um, was definitely in in that type of situation. So, so you know, the the idea that a woman wants to be out of that and deserves to be out of that and deserves to find someone who sees her, who appreciates her, who loves her, I certainly don't think that betrayal um, is the only way to look at. That's right. the choice that she made. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that uh, interpretation. I appreciate that. And and You're you know, and, and I don't. I, I, I don't want to uh we still have like you know 15 minutes or so uh and I don't want to uh move on without talking about the black woman is god phenomena because that is totally uh new to me and I want you to enlighten me about that uh I'm all for removing father from the throne and replacing him with mother or at least putting him side by side in an egalitarian uh fashion but I want to know more about black woman is god and, and and I wonder if that harkens to, like, um, you know, the fact that civilization came up out of Africa and we have these wonderful, you know, goddesses like Isis. I mean, is that sort of the root of that? That's certainly part of it. Uh, first, with the idea that um, civilization came out of Africa, as you said, and therefore, you know, the African woman, the black woman, uh, is the mother of of all people, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then thinking about the fact that the woman herself is the first God that any of us experience. Um, we experience her womb. We experience she is the one who feeds us and nurtures us, um, you know, through all throughout our gestation period and in our infancy. When we think of God, we think of mother because she is the one who is responsible for caring for all of our needs um, she is she is the divine presence for us, um, and so within the the 
the, what I guess what we what is known as the black consciousness community, there is definitely this growing trend of the idea of the black woman as God, um, and 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 seeing the black woman and the goddess force as the God, uh, rather than um, in, in many instances not even you know thinking about goddess and God, but really, you know, exalting goddess entirely um, mm-hmm. and and really just looking, you know, looking at the black woman as the representation of such. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wonder, um, you know, why we don't have more overlap, you know, in the pagan community um, with, I, I mean, is it, is it, 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 I... You know, it, it feels silly to me to even utter these words, but I don't know too many black pagans. You know, is there a reason for that? Um, you know, do, do um, you know do folks like you? I mean, do you consider yourself pagan, or um, or, or you have help me here? Uh, because I, I'm I'm trying to figure out why. You know, there 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 isn't more. Um, you know, there, that there aren't more black. Uh, goddess worshippers, um, you know, coming together, you know, in our circles and things, and and I really just don't know why we don't know each other. Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, black pagans, if you will, I find are forming many of their own circles. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not really sure why the circles don't overlap, although I I suspect that. Some of it may have to do with, you know, the, you know, many many black pagans are seeking to return to their to traditional African culture and traditional African religion, and finding greater comfort in um, in those traditions, and therefore wanting to share them with others, um, with other African people, with other black people. Uh, rather than engaging in a in a more pagan expression, which which tends to be very universal and being right. able to access the goddess in in a myriad of forms and being able to access you know many different many different traditions. So I suspect that that has uh, a lot to do with it. Um, but I do think that that I I absolutely would consider myself to be a pagan, um, but I don't. You know, again, I also haven't interacted with the pagan world that that you interact with, with to the same degree, um, probably for a very similar reason. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I I mean it, may, it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to me if if you're trying to rediscover your own roots, then you would naturally be, you know, with people who of your own, you know, of of your own ethnicity. Um, I mean, that that makes total sense to me. Just like yeah. um, the white pagans who maybe are European and they all sort of head for the Celtic goddesses. You know, it's sort of the same thing. I think. Absolutely, and I think that what's just very fascinating and amazing about it is that regardless of the, the quote-unquote separation, because there isn't really separation, there's only perceived separation. Regardless of this, there is, you know, a shift in, in all different communities, in all different ways that are being made back to indigenous cultures, mm. being made back to worship the goddess. So even though 
you know, we're we're doing it separately, we're doing it in our own ways, we're doing it um, in different places, we're still, you know, eyes are opening and, and, we, and spirits are being awakened, and that's just mm-hmm. a really amazing phenomenon. Well, and I think, too, when we are sort of in our own, um, I'm just going to use the word camp, so to speak, a tribe, whatever. Um, uh, I mean it in the most benign way. Um, it sort of allows for more diversity to grow, you know. And then when at some points when we do come together, um, maybe the stew is even that much more potent, you know, if you know what I mean. Uh, because then, you know, we all bring such a richness rather than us all having gone down the same path. You know, um, so to speak. I absolutely agree with that, and I think the beauty of the work that all of us are doing is that we are connecting with spiritual traditions that believe in respecting difference um, and getting away from the 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 Western religions, the big three religions that. don't teach the same type of tolerance and don't teach the same type of acceptance. We are involved, you know, getting back to those spiritual traditions that allow for tolerance and love and acceptance because of the understanding that all things are interconnected um, and that everything is spirit. And so even though I may use a different name Mm -hmm. to recognize the goddess than someone else, we are still all speaking to the same core. Well, and, you know, I remember a while back, you know, in the early 90s, um, there was a big thing, and I don't know whether it's still out there or not, um, you know, there were people who would be angry about cultural appropriation. I I remember there was a woman who got into a lot of trouble uh, with Native Americans because they felt she was sort of co-opting their tradition and sometimes it even bled over because you know some people would say like people like me you know a white woman how could I possibly uh, you know have as my goddess Isis because you know Isis is you know from Egypt and you know they're not blonde hair and blue eyed there you know and I would just think you know whoever you're called to you're called to you can't you can't help that, you know. You know, if she speaks to you, she speaks to you. You don't care what she looks like or what color her skin is. And, um, you know, I wonder, is is that still a concern? I mean, do you hear anything about that? Does that matter anymore? I think that it still matters to some. I think that there's, there's still very much a sensitivity for for African people to have, for having their own spaces um, and really just, again, reconnecting to to their roots and to redefining themselves on their own terms. So I think I think due to to kind of racial politics in America, I think that there is a bit of sensitivity to that. But I also agree with you very much that who you're called to is who you're called to. You know, over the summer we had a retreat and um, we were we were there and there were a number of volunteers um, who uh, didn't know if they could come to participate in, you know, some of our African drumming and dancing. And at one point, one of the volunteers came up to the barn where we were drumming, and he was outside dancing. And um, and I didn't see him, but afterwards I said, we should have invited him in when they told me about it. I said, we should have invited him in. Um, and they said, well, you know, he's just one of the volunteers. And I said, when you're called, you're called. You know, mm-hmm. and that's what it boils down to. When you're called, you're called. And yeah. uh, 
it has nothing to do with race because spirit is spirit. It's nothing to right. do with race or gender or class or any of those things. So, yeah. um, so I definitely think that while there is a a, a social and a political sensitivity, um, I think that once you know, the closer that each of us gets to to spirit and to to re reconnecting and strengthening that relationship, the more that we'll be able to see that and to understand that and respect that. Um, yeah, it, then it all so becomes really irrelevant, irrelevant, you know, I mean, because I, I hope we, we get to the point where we don't even have to talk masculine and feminine anymore. You know, we can all just be people and, um, you know, we, we don't, you know, have these artificial um, divisions, so to speak. Um, I, I know we're starting to run short on time and, and I, I want to pick your brain on uh, on one other thing and, and then I'll, you know, let you sort of close with uh you know, whatever you want to, you know, leave listeners with. But I recall that there was um, a, a black woman teacher who um, I kept trying to get on the show, and for one reason or another it never did work out. And I believe she spoke about the Sybils and something to do about, you know, with the Sybils being black women, uh, uh, you know, ancient black women. Do you, it is, is uh, am I getting that right? Do you know anything about that? I'm not familiar with that. But I will say that there is a lot of, you know, work being done to to trace, to recover lost African mm. wisdom. And so there are many people who uh, are are claiming and reclaiming uh, things for Africa, whether, unfortunately, sometimes it's not valid. Um, yeah. But in the effort to, to, you know, just get back to the roots, you know, to claim and to reclaim. Um, yeah. You know what was what was authentically African. Yeah, because you know I can I can imagine. Of course, here I am. You know, laying cult. You know, contemporary. You know, racial issues on 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 the subject. But as as much as women have been oppressed in patriarchy, and you know, black women I think are even more oppressed than white women. I can see how uh, it would have maybe been even harder for a black woman to. Uh, maintain, um, you know, whatever shreds of leadership or authority or um, wisdom that she had coming to her uh, because, you know, patriarchy would want to strip it from her, you know. Um, You know, so, uh, you know, she would probably get, you know, stripped first, you know, how dare her, you know. Um, so, yeah, um, but then again, you know, as you said, you know, some things are accurate and some aren't. I think we just have to, you know, keep everything in context because uh, um, I think there's some things we'll never know, you know. Um, you know, history won't reveal all its secrets, I don't think. But, Embara, um, I have really enjoyed speaking to you, and uh, we probably have about uh, four minutes left. Um, what would you like to share with listeners that maybe I haven't had a chance to ask you about? Um, I think, you know, the the only thing that I'd like to say um, is just that, you know, the goddess is, as we know, the goddess is complex, and I really want to challenge all of us to just push ourselves in how we get to know her and how it is that we allow her energies to express through us and in our lives because um, I think what we see can and will surprise us. Um, it, it's It's been surprising me thus far, and, you know, I've been practicing uh, 
my my brand of spirituality for a decade and and yet here I am being surprised and I I definitely uh think that there is so much for us to mine here that that there's that we're never at a loss when it comes to to learning and growing in our spiritual truths and yeah, I mean, we can just delve deeper, and you know, we find even more layers to the onion. Um, if, but do you have tips for listeners um, that maybe you can give them on, you know, making that connection, you know, opening that portal uh, to get to know her, or maybe to deepen it once maybe you feel like you've got the door cracked? Or how how do you how do you go about it if you don't mind my asking? Absolutely. Um, one of the ways that I like to go about it is through the mythology because I find that we see the examples in action through the mythology. Um, I also love to engage in uh, uh, altar work and meditation. Uh, so so meditating and reflecting on the image of the goddess um, in one or many of her forms at a time. And I definitely uh, recommend that as well um, to 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 use the stories to help us to build the picture and then to go into meditation and altar work to help us to connect with with that, which we've just read about. Um, any tips for trance work? I mean, I know you said that, you know, you mentioned drumming before. Um, you know, anything you do to, um, you know, without losing, you know, without u- using a sacred hallucinogen, um, anything you do to maybe, uh, you know, go into that sort of, you know, get in the zone, so to speak? Definitely chanting is, is probably my go-to. Um, I find myself... Um, very easily slipping into trance whenever chanting is involved. Um, so I would definitely recommend um, involving chanting as part of your spiritual work to get into that space. And you could write your own chants. Um, I mean, it, it, it doesn't... Yeah, okay. So, um, so, well, so it, the important part about chanting is the repetition and the intensity, the energy that you put into it, and not necessarily um, that it's rhythmic or pretty. Um, okay. Okay. So it doesn't. It doesn't have to look good. It isn't a performance. <laughs> Absolutely. It is. It is. It is a. It is a concert with the goddess. So it just has to. It just has to be. It just has to be purposeful. Yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Well, Ambara, I have so enjoyed speaking to you. I'm so glad I had you on the show. And, uh, you know, I want to give you an open invitation to come back another time. Uh, if there's something else you'd like to chat about, please just email me and we'll make time to put you on the calendar. Uh, you've taught me so much tonight. I, I really, really so enjoyed much. Uh, talking to you, and um, you're you're awesome. You're awesome. So I'm glad Thank we found so each much. other. <laughs> so am I. I'm so grateful that you had me on, and I've I've also enjoyed this conversation, and I do look forward to coming back. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And you know what? Uh, probably in an hour or so after the show's over, uh, a link will go up on my blog talk page. Uh, please know you're free, you know you're welcome to take the link and use it, or you know post it to social media. Use it uh, however is useful to you. Absolutely, I definitely will. Thank you so much. You're you're welcome, and uh, stay in touch. Okay. I will. Take care. Okay. Good night. 
Um, well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I have certainly loved both uh, the ladies that were on the show tonight. And we only have about uh, two minutes left here, so I'm going to have to give it a quick wrap. But uh, I want you to remember out there, uh, cognitive minority that you are, uh, the words of Gandhi. He said, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Or as author Schopenhauer, the philosopher, said, all true. Truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Second, it's violently opposed. And third, it is accepted uh, for being self-evident. I know some of my guests, who have been talking about the sacred feminine for decade uh, can attest to these sayings. You know, the sacred feminine is alive and well. Uh, In fact, uh, she had a seat at the Council for the Parliament of World Religions. And I think uh, the days of laughing at us are over. I think the days of ridiculing us are over. I think it won't be long before the goddess is really considered very mainstream. And one more thing before I leave you tonight, uh, please donate, uh, because remember what you nurture and tend to thrives, what you neglect withers. If you've enjoyed the show and wanted to continue, please go to my website at karentate.com. Once you're there, go to the Goddess Store page, scroll all the way down to the bottom, uh, look at the books, the wonderful Goddess greeting cards uh, that uh, I've... uh, created of uh, goddesses and sacred sites, other things of interest there, and please make a purchase or a donation. It would be most appreciated. And finally, don't forget, even if you've hit the follow button before uh, from my show page, hit it once again, because it seems uh, some of the notifications were deleted and you might not be getting notices before the show uh, as you once were. So I think that's probably about it. Uh, I will just close with the words of Thomas Paine. We have it in our power to make the world over again. And yes, indeed we are. We are manifesting the new normal. Thank you, my dear listeners, uh, for tuning in again tonight and for tuning in uh, over the years. You are the gas in my tank. I'll be with you again uh, next Wednesday. I'll be with you again next Wednesday. Uh, Have a wonderful uh, Samhain and um, wonderful weekend, however you you are um, uh, experiencing it, celebrating it, and I will be back next Wednesday. Good night.